But the day I gave my life to Christ, nobody invited me. I was on my way home, you know? That kind of encounter you just had with God, and I couldn't just go home. And I just had this strong urge, became troubled, go to that fellowship. I'm like, me. You know, then I was a big boy in school, go to fellowship. What would, they, what would the girls say? You know, news would go everywhere. I mean, everybody would be disappointed. But I went. In fact, I still remember the experience. The moment I entered, you see everybody just turning back. As in, you were just whispering, they love you, Magni. They love you, Magni. My father told me life is not a This is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true. Asking the what, the when, the how, and the why. I'm Oshaye, and on this episode, we meet Pastor Dili Oshumakinde, the founding pastor of the Baptizing Church. This is the first of a two-part conversation. You hear Pastor Dili talk about being 44, the lessons learned and mistakes made. He'll also talk about how he's been able to organize his life effectively, as well as the spectacular encounter he had with God in 1993 that's led him on the journey he's been on since then. Origins Africa is about the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true, uncovering the early years, embarrassing first efforts, fears, struggles and challenges, mistakes and failures, lessons, shortcomings, and the messiness of being human on the road to living one's dreams. What this means for us here at Origins Africa is that we have to deliberately feature guest stories from all walks of life because people's dreams cut across different sectors and industry verticals, technology, fashion, food, media and entertainment, public relations, sports, hospitality, faith, health, education, consulting, the social sector, amongst others. On this episode and the next, we explore the faith world and Miss Dili Oshimakinde, the founding pastor of the Baptizing Church. The Baptizing Church started in Abuja in 2005 and was formally commissioned in 2007 by Pastor Tsunde Bakari with a vision to raise a generation who will influence things to the ends of the earth. Today, the Baptizing Church has expanded beyond Abuja to several cities. Interestingly, as a young boy in science class in secondary school, Pastor Daly wanted to be a medical doctor. I wanted to become a medical doctor. And coincidentally, out of all my friends, I'm the only one now who's not a doctor because, I mean, eventually, I, I, I didn't study medicine. Of course, I mean, it was it was very disappointing for my parents because they really wanted me to study medicine. But you see, that's also part of uh, becoming born again. Um, it was actually the Lord that told me not to study medicine. I still remember where I got that and and he told me what to study. 
And that's why I ended up not studying medicine. Yeah, of course, my parents didn't like that, but eventually they got used to it. Do you remember why you wanted to study medicine? My my motivation was my uncle Central Mamra, who is a medical doctor. Uh, so I mean from from childhood he was he was he did his house job in Abelkta, so he was always coming to our house, you know. So I would see him and right, you know, from that uh, moment of seeing him as a medical doctor, I just made up my mind I was gonna be a doctor. Okay, okay. And your parents supported the idea. Yes, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, those great years, my father and his friends used to call me doctor already because <laughs> they already believed I was going to study medicine. And I was actually on the, on the way. If I'd, if I'd given it shots, possibly I'd be a doctor today. But like I said, I just knew that was not my purpose. So there's no point in just, you know, I mean, going all the way and not having anything to do with it. So, I mean, how did you but convince today, them to, was it tough, was it a tough one? Your parents, was, when you decided not to go study medicine? Yeah, yes, of course it was, it was tough, but you know, they are very wonderful parents. But with, with time, they understood and, and I think over time, that time has proven that, I mean, I didn't need to go that route. How exactly did Pastor Dilly know that studying medicine was not his purpose and what happened during that period? Stay tuned to find out. Today, Pastor Dilly describes himself as a polymath and philomath. A philomath and a polymath. I mean, I mean, those are words that I would also describe. Um, an expert, a researcher, one who is keen about learning, and um, one who is also a multitasker, you know just multitask or you could also say I, I, I network individual so well I do so much presently I'm a PhD researcher so I'm researching the role of spiritual capital in social entrepreneurship so I'm just trying to look at um, how to theorize and to conceptualize and, and um, create empirical studies around all that we do in church and all those things and as a capacity to generate values that will drive an enterprise. So apart from that, I'm also involved with training budding aspiring entrepreneurs. And of course, I'm a pastor, um, I'm a father, I'm an husband, <laughs> so I'm an author, international conference speaker. So if you look at how many things I do, <laughs> You will indeed agree with me that I'm actually a polymath. So that's basically <laughs> what it is. It's uh, just a way of just, you know, summarizing all that one does. And to also, I mean, let people know that, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I touch many things. I just put it that way. So I'm a man that um, touches many parts. So, hmm. Okay, okay. And how are you able to juggle or? Well, you see, like I usually tell people, once you become a man of purpose, what purpose? Purpose itself is a multiplier. Purpose also streamlines. So what, what originality and purpose does is to cut off the noise out there for you. 
And because they are not involved with the noise and the band gone, band were gone effect, I will pardon. So the little time you have is optimized and is maximized. And that's why people feel are you able to do so many things. So the question is the other way around. You are able to do so many things because you have cut out what is not necessary. And once you cut out what is not necessary, the noise, the distraction, the competition, trying to be like this, trying to be like that. And once you find the original value, original template, originality in God and your purpose, you just realize that you are, what you are now left with is to maximize and optimize imperatives or purpose of destiny of, you know, what is... It's all about your, your, your destiny and your purpose. So uh, because of that, it's as if your timeline is not concentrated uh, because you are not spreading things around again. So in that case, you tend to achieve more because you are not focused on the vital. And uh, by the time you do that, I mean, you do so much uh, with so little. And uh, I mean, that's just what it's all about. And that's why it appears on the outside as if you are doing so much, but technically what you are actually doing is to do um, the vital and leave out what is not important. Okay, okay. I hear you, but I think to some people out there, even the vital that you're doing, like you mentioned, you're pastor, you do trainings, you're an international conference speaker, you're an author, um, a husband, father, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it is still a lot to some people out there. So even though I hear you that, yes, you've come to, well, you know your purpose and that has helped you focus on the major things and the vital stuff. Still, bearing in mind all this, do you, doesn't it get stressful sometimes having to handle all this? Is it, or is it not, not really, not really, not really. Because, I mean, we all have 24 hours every day. So what I try to do is to um, divide my timeline into three, every, I mean, three, uh, I divide my day into three parts and each part will run for eight hours. So the first eight hours is about me, it's about capacity building. Um, that's when I pray, meditate, I mean, read, you know, do all those things that will also enhance my own capacity. Um, you know, so the next eight hours, I mean, dedicated to those I need to reach out to, you know, uh, to uh, that will involve call, making phone calls, eating, you know, walking, and, you know, just being a blessing. And uh, so then the last eight hours, I rest, and it's also for me. So that's when I sleep, or maybe see a movie. Do something. So it's it's just a matter of organizing your it life sounds around so your simple, purpose. The way you've described it, I don't know uh, if well, reality. Is. Said, you know, you know. I also said organizing your 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 life around your purpose. So then, of course, there's a bit of organization there, and of course, there's also an element of discipline there, and that you need to you need to stick to those very strict. Um, timelines. Like, for example, now, when it's time for me to do my thing, uh, I mean, it might be difficult for you to get me. And, um, you know, so, and when I also want to do other things, so I just, it's just a matter of just looking at it that, look, time is not an, 
I mean, time is a fixed asset. So you just have to plan and optimize and maximize what is delivering. And so, uh, I mean, by the time you start out, I must confess it looks a bit challenging. But with time, as you begin to live it out, you just realize that it becomes an habit, it becomes a lifestyle. And uh, you, you just easily get on and uh, no problems at all. Okay, okay. So in the early years, there were the struggles with organizing your time and stuff like that? Yeah, well, not a yes, maybe maybe no, and uh, maybe yes plus no. In the sense that... <laughs> that's when I say plus and minus, in the sense that I've always been a very organized person, even from childhood, primary school, secondary school, and of course, when I was in the university, I just, I, I, I don't just like this organization. Organization and, and being organized has always been part of my life. So, I mean, I mean it's, uh, so that's why I said to that extent, it wasn't really a struggle. It was, um, like, think for instance, when I was in university, I'm this kind of guy that would uh, not read. I mean, during the semester. But once the exam timetables, I mean, came out at the time, I would, I would start reading because that's, that's the way I get organized. Because, you know, at that time when I was in university, we didn't have continuous assessment, so it was just exams. So I didn't really see any reason why I should really bother myself about reading, I mean, during the semester. So, but by the time the exam, uh, because, you see, the timetable thing resonates with my being because I'm this kind of person that you have to put a structure in front of me to get me to perform. But once the timetable is out, you see me organizing my study and I, I, I excelled academically. So that's, that's the way I remember secondary school too. I mean, once they just say you have a test or an exam, that's, that's where you bring out the genius in me. It's difficult for me to just pick a book. I mean, while in school to just start reading or a course. But but if if there is a timeline, I mean, there's something I'm pressing towards an exam or a test. Uh, you see me, I start reading and I excel. But if, if that is not there, it's difficult. So and and that is what I've carried over in that once I'm able to organize and have some kind of a semblance of a timetable. That like today now, everything I wanted to achieve today. By midnight yesterday, I already I wrote out everything on a sheet of paper, and it's by me now. So once I achieve something, I just take it. So that that I works for me. So I always write things down, and I, I always attack timeline. Okay, I need to achieve this by this time, by that time, and and I realize that once I do that, the essence. I mean, the very essence of uh, just getting that sense of fulfillment in yourself in that you are taking things off your bucket list. I mean, brings out the genius in me. True, true. At the time we recorded this interview in 2021, Pastor Dilly had recently celebrated his 44th birthday. So, of course, we asked him how he felt being 44. Sincerely, I feel 25. <laughs> <laughs> on my 40th birthday, my mother was there, so I had to walk up to her. And I said, Mommy, please, I need to ask you a question. Please be honest with me. Oh, was I really born in the same cell? Because believe me, I had to, 
maybe the only thing that made me to possibly reconsider that I was actually 40 was when I saw my children. But other than that, I, I was like, why did I turn 40? When was I 25? I remember when I was 25. So it looks like I was still living in that zone. Uh, but again, you look around, your daughter, I mean, my daughters were getting old and, you know, so I just told myself, I said, I mean, I must be maybe around 40, really, because at least <laughs> remember my primary school, primary school memories, secondary school memories, and all my classmates also at that season were also turning 40 here and there. So I just like, so I just encouraged myself that maybe it's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. that I, don't feel, I feel youthful, I feel young. Why do you think that is in maybe comparison to others your age mates? Well, I think you see, uh, youthfulness is also a form, it's a state of state of the mind. Once you begin to get on a purpose lane, destiny lane, you just realize that you you, you tend to grow younger, you know. As it were, and of course, when you are, when you have when when you are youthful at heart, young at heart, you just realize that yes, of course, age could be going north, but you are still contemporarily relevant, and um, somehow, I mean, I think that is a the preservation in that regard, in that you don't you don't feel as if you are getting old. But of course, you know you are getting old, but you you still you're a learner. You, your outlook to life is that of a very young person. So you don't you don't of course you are conscious of your age so that you don't also become silly or foolish. But, you know, but at the same time, the outlook is just I mean the eagerness to learn and try trying to be the best you can be in the scheme of things. I'm not using age as a barrier, you know, when it comes to anything progressive. Okay, okay. So looking back through the years, being 44, what would you say some of your proudest moments have been? Well, I mean, I've been serving the Lord. Sincerely, I thank God for counting me worthy and, you know, putting me in the ministry. Looking back, the high points for me from, from those days in secondary school because I became uh, born again right from secondary school to the university to date. The greatest joy of my life is looking back and seeing how many people one has affected and touched their lives and who also in turn, who in turn also doing great things for God and for humanity. That's the greatest joy for me. Okay, okay. Looking back as well, are there any things you feel maybe you would have done differently, even though you've learned the lessons? Oh, of course. The biggest room in the world is a room for improvement. Um, you know, we're growing and we're learning. I mean, I've made quite some mistakes also in life. I mean, uh, I can share some of them with you. Maybe yes, I please. should have been more patient with some people. <laughs> you know, looking back now, so there were some people I was very hard on them, you know, as a pastor on campus. And, uh, you know, when I still see some of them now, that eventually they made it. <laughs> you know, at times I'm like, maybe I should have, you know, 
then a little more patient. You know, I was this very tough kind of campus fellowship pastor and, and teacher who was always very hard on people trying to bring out best in them. And because of that, you know, some people had issues with me. So looking back now, about I mean, almost 25 years, you know, I'm saying that I should have been you know, more patient, maybe more friendly. <laughs> you okay. know, because then my outlook was that, look, I'm your pastor, I'm not your friend. I can't be your friend and be your pastor at the same time. You know, I just want to pastor you. And uh, I don't want to have anything personal to do with you. But, you know, looking back, I, maybe I should have been more accommodating and more friendly and more understanding. But, you know, uh, I guess that's, that's it. And of course, you know, for me, that, that was, uh, and of course, looking back at my university days also, maybe I should have uh, also, I've enjoyed investing the more. And now the university also passed through me because I just realized I was that fellowship and went to class. I did no other thing in the university. I was just a straight jacketed kind of individual. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are some of the things you have liked to have explored in the university? Maybe to, to you know, I, I mean, the academic world the more and also make friends across the board because it, it appeared that back then, once you're not a Christian, you're not born again. I mean, we didn't have anything in common. I didn't even if I'm a classmate, we would not even talk, you know, other than I, I, or maybe if we have classwork to do together. So I felt I should have been entered into other people's worlds to just you know, see what they've got also, you know, and not just, you know, having only Christian friends. And, you know, so, and of course, to also have explored the academic world, you know, much more. Because then I was just interested in passing my exams and just graduated. But now that I'm a researcher now, I'm beginning to appreciate the academic world, you know, much more. So it's... Um, okay. Of course, was never part of any, uh, you know, group in school other than fellowship. Now, I've loved a situation whereby at least I was part of one of these clubs or societies, you know. Uh, you know, but of course, they invited me then, but I didn't see why I should, you know, you know do that. But now looking back, uh, yeah, I'm seeing that one should have at least, you know, uh, been a son of God at the same time a son of man. Pastor Dilly grew up in the southwestern part of Nigeria, Abelkuta, in Ogun State, and described his life growing up as fun because... Because, I mean, one, everyone was content, you know, uh, especially if you are privileged to have uh, both parents as civil servant, which I did, and um, no one was envious of anyone, everybody was content. We were all brought up with street, street moral values, you know, even though our parents were liberal, but at the same time, you know, some things were not glorious. So, I mean, honesty, integrity, you know, calling a spade a spade. And of course, you know, brought up in church, no matter what, you have to go to church. And um, I mean, in all those years, I didn't see anybody divorcing anybody. You know, uh, typically, your neighbors were very nice because. Uh, typically, they will also be children of civil servants, you know, if you go to school together. So, I mean, that sense of community was there where 
not just your parents were respected by you, you respect everyone, you know, in the society and about uh, a driven kind of society. So for me, growing up was fun because uh, from primary school, I've always been an excellent person academically. So I enjoyed, you know, being, always being forced when I was in primary school. And of course, getting to secondary school, intellectualism continued. I was, I enjoyed my secondary school. Was that the time you came in second? In primary school, I, I don't think so. I think I was forced out through. Ah, uh, then in secondary think? school? Oh, let me think. Oh, primary, was I forced out through? I'm not too sure, but I was forced for the most part. Okay. Because I, I was a lot of best student anyway. So, okay. Um, I mean, I took it for granted, you know. I was one of these students that, you know, I just knew I would be forced, you know, that kind of feeling. Ah, <laughs> so, I see. But it was a different ball game in secondary school. Okay. Um, Let's hear I mean, about that. Well, you know, my secondary school was at Dr. Grammar School. So it was a concentration of the best of the best from everywhere. As I was the best from my primary school, so also everyone <laughs> you could imagine, they were also the best of the best from their own <laughs> primary schools. So Interesting. Entering the primary school then was very, it was highly competitive. So you just have to be extremely good to be able to get admission. And, and even though the school was in Abelkuta, the majority of the students were from Lagos. So you could imagine Lagos poopies competing with us at Bukta poopies, you know, to get a slot. So it was always highly competitive. So, I mean, imagine you're in class, the guy next, I mean, your, 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 your seatmate was that boy from there, that one was that boy from there. You know, that kind of setting, this one was that boy, this one was this, this one won this competition, that one won this competition, this one went to gifted children's school, you know, that kind of thing. So, of course, I was good, but the good was relative. Because now I'm now in the midst of very powerful people where you just have to find a bearing. So the first three years, it was a bit of struggle. That's proud junior secondary because I was also very playful. But by the time I got to senior secondary, I got my hats and, uh, together and I started excelling. And I know it's... I did so well, so that's uh, and of course in the process, uh, gave my life to Christ. So okay, that was, what, was it for me? What changed though when you got to senior secondary school? Was it giving your life to Christ? Yes, that it was because I knew I was getting closer to life, and I wanted to go to university. So like you know, again, you could see that that thing has always been part of me. Once there's something from me, I'm always motivated. So. I mean, all around me, you know, growing up then, yeah, she failed WAEC, he failed WAEC, he couldn't go to university. I mean, so he had to go, I didn't want any of that to happen. So the moment I got to SS1, and I knew this is the last bus stop towards university, I just woke up and became serious. And that paid off for me, so I was able to, I see. you know, uh, you know, look forward to going to, because I, wanted to go to university, so I wasn't even ready to go to Polytechnic. So, I mean, so, and before you know it, by SS2, 
And of course, I have very wonderful friends also who are so intellectually inclined. Also, I mean, some of my friends in senior secondary, we were all geniuses, uh, quote and unquote. So we used to challenge ourselves. I mean, by the time all of us were in SS2, we've read virtually all our textbooks from cover to cover, you can imagine. And uh, we come to class and it's always like debating chemistry, debating physics, you know, bringing questions and say, okay, oh yeah, solve this question, you know, that kind of thing, challenging ourselves. So that made everybody to to to, to stand up and to to just excel academically. And the school that I went to also at Victor Ground School was a center of excellence. So I mean it's noted for academic excellence. So so that really helped. Okay. Just a curious question. So did you have a different set of friends in junior secondary school? Um, yes, yes, I did. I mean, we were all just a playful bunch. But when I got to senior secondary, uh, I mean, you know, junior secondary, uh, the way my school was, was that once you get into junior secondary, the same class they put you, that's the class we're going to be all through. So I had this same set of naughty, playful friends for three years. But you know, by senior secondary, they redistribute uh, us into new classes. So oh, okay. and it's good we have it uh, because I went to science class. So I mean, uh, the guys who were very serious minded came together. So it was a bit of concentration again. So I got the right friend, and uh, of course, with my personal motivation too, we were able to you know forge ahead. In just a moment. Pastor Dilly will talk about the experiences that led him to decide to no longer study medicine. Stay with us. I'm Oshaye, and you're listening to Origins Africa Podcast. Hi, dear listener. If you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple Podcast. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. We love to read from you. Nope's. Not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. Also, click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Catch our one-to-one newsletter where we share with you one lesson, two quotes, and one question from each episode published. You'll find it at originsafrica.substack.com originsafrica.substack.com If you like it, please click the like button, leave a comment, share with a friend, and subscribe. Also, you can now watch video snippets of some of our guest interviews. Simply go to Origins Africa Podcast on YouTube, Origins Africa Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like our videos, and share. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa podcast. So how exactly did Pastor Dele get the idea to no longer study medicine? I was actually in a meeting. I still remember the meeting and the Lord said, you know. This was in secondary school, sorry. Yeah, secondary school, yeah. I was, SS I was second, SS3. Okay. I went for this meeting, you know, and let's say I'm not going to study medicine. I wanted to study agriculture and so that you can have time 
for the work I'm going to give to you on campus because I have a special work for you, a special assignment. And, and, and looking back, truly, by the time I got to university and the fellowship started and became what it became, there was no way I would uh, be able to do the things I, I did if I was a medical student. And one, we have to suffer. You, you, you see what I mean? So it's either I, I face the med school and leave the ministry or face the ministry and uh, become, you know, swasong, uh, you know. I mean, not a swasong, a byword, you know, in, in the med school, uh, you know. So either way, I wouldn't seek glorify God because, I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll not be fervent in the spirit and I'll still be slothful in business. So, but with studying, because uh, that is not that demanding, I was able to still excel academically, but at the same time, I was able to do the assignment God gave to me on campus. So right. I'm curious. So you went to the meeting. I mean, for the longest time, I would assume you had wanted to be a medical doctor. You had probably yes. been dreaming about it already. In and, fact, yeah. it was my greatest dream. Yeah. Exactly. And then suddenly you hear a word that you shouldn't go study medicine. Um, was it that easy to accept? Did it take a while? Did you reject the idea to start with? No, no, no. Funny enough, I did not because I had a very quick growth in effect. So I think I came into spiritual maturity very fast. And I just had a very pleasant relationship with the Lord. And because I trusted him. So when I, like, for example, let me give you an understanding. I wanted to go to University of Lagos. In fact, I remember my dad and I, when I got my jam form and took it to him, and he was like, oh, you could go feel it. So we just talked about it. He had a discussion in his room. And we both agreed that I was going to fill in University of Lagos. As I left him to go to my desk, left his room to go back to my room to start filling the forms, the Lord just said, no, you are not going to University of Lagos, you are going to University of Ibano. So I just had to turn back and went to my father and said, well, um, I've changed my mind. Of course, I didn't say God said, I just have changed my mind. I think I want to go to you. And I was like, ah, well, that's fine. I mean, for as long as it's the same medicine, you know, that time we're still feeling the form where I had. This was where I had. You know, you feel your form where I had before you now go to ride the jam, before sure. the jam yes. is what is now out. So, I mean, it was just like, for as long as it's medicine, it was fine. So that was how I ended up going to University of Banner. So I wasn't planning to go to UI. I wanted to go to Hillac. But Lord said UI. So I, and the same Lord now came and said, it's not going to be medicine. This is what it's going to be. So, <laughs> so it was a struggle for me. And I didn't suffer any sense of loss or deprivation, you know. I just said, okay, no problem. And I went for it. Interestingly, Pastor Dilly was not always this way. While Pastor Dilly was good academically, he was also very good socially. In fact, he was one of the school's big boys. I was very good academically, but at the same time, I was also socially. So I was in secondary school, I could dance, I could rap, I was a dancer, I was a rapper. Are you serious? So I used to dance and literally <laughs> in society. Yes, I was. In fact, we would uh, 
we would memorize raps. Uh, you know, I still remember some of, some of those raps. Oh, yeah, three of the as well. I had to memorize was my mind is playing tricks. My, could my you mind say is one? playing tricks on me. <laughs> and <laughs> could I do what? Could you rap for us from the ones you remember? Of course, of course. I still remember. I make big money. I draw a big car. Everybody knows me like a movie star. You know, and so on <laughs> and so forth. And of course, I, I really love Motown Philly. Boys to me, you know, so I did the rap parts, you know, <laughs> because I was always the one doing that rap part whenever and when we did Ali Trainer. He said, Now check this album one day back in Fanny. What guys wanted to spray? They said, Imagine I'm saying, What's your name? Boys to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so on and so forth. So I loved Michael Jackson. I mean, when Black and White came out, I mean, that was it for me. MC Hammer, you know. The whole of you can't turn it, please, Hammer, don't want them. The whole album, I could write out the lyrics for you. So I was that, I was that involved. So I loved dancing, loved crisscross. I mean, all these people, of course, Bobby Brown, you know, all these guys, you know. So, you know, I was into all that and Little did I know God had a plan for me. I mean, I, I was just like, of all people, me, I mean, this. But again, I, you know, I started having that idea that God had a plan for me when I had a dream. That the world came to an end and I started running out of skeptical, but take it serious. I just left it there. So, so my friend. When did you they, have the dream? Was, sorry. Yeah, that was 1993, early 93. Okay. Then by my. Some of my classmates, every Thursday, they would just come in front of the class. Oh, we want to invite everybody to fellowship, try and come. They would invite me, I would just say, and I would just be like, why are you guys troubling yourself? Say so you are too young to, to be taking religion seriously. And you know, I was a thought leader. I was very philosophical. I was a leader. I was very forceful. So I, right from just one, I've always been an opinion leader. You know, that kind of person. So I just be like, why, why are you taking this thing serious? I like, this is a time we need to enjoy our lives, you know that kind of thing. So when they go to fellowship, and at times I even pass where they are doing fellowship, I see them praying, and in my mind I'm like, why, why are these people punishing themselves like this? <laughs> Young age, when they're supposed to be enjoying life, you know, they're doing fellowship, you know. So to me, I could not just wrap my mind around this whole fellowship, buzz and sensation. I'm like, well, what the what heck? What I mean, why do I need to bother myself, you know? But the day I gave my life to Christ, nobody invited me. I was on my way home, you know? That kind of encounter you just had with God and I couldn't just go home. And I just had this strong urge, became troubled, go to that fellowship. I'm like, me, you know? Then I was a big boy in school, go to fellowship. What would, they, what would the girls say, you know? News would go everywhere. I mean, everybody would be disappointed. But I went. In fact, I still remember the experience. The moment I entered, you see everybody just turning back. As in, he was just whispering, they love you, they love you, you know? <laughs> and, and the junior, senior, they, I mean, you know, you could see that boy was like, <laughs> what are you doing here, you know? <laughs> and that day, the funny thing is I wasn't in fellowship, so they were having testimony day. It was a day. So there was no preaching. So the coordinator just said, well, even though we're not preaching today, but eventually there's anyone here who still wants to give his life to Christ, would like the person to come forward so I can pray. And I was the only person. I just went forward. 
how I got to that frontier date, I, I sincerely say a mystery. And, and I uh, left that meeting. Everyone I met on my way home that day, I preached to all of them. Everyone. And by the time I came to school the following day, everyone or my friend I preached to them and people were like, are you crazy or something? I mean, you know, my friends were all the big boys, co-rappers, I mean, lady rappers, all of us were having girlfriends, that kind of thing now. Big boy in school, ladies guy, you know, that kind of thing. And you now say you are born again. And I remember an experience. <laughs> so there was this lady I was asking now. She was an SS2 at the time. And she was just about to give me an answer. She was going to give me an answer that week. And I became born again, you can imagine. Do you know she actually walked up to me and she said, oh, I learned you are not born again. You are not SURP. And she gave me a look and I said, yes. And I wanted to start preaching to her. She just hissed and walked away. You can imagine. In fact, when that happened, you know what I told myself? I said, ah, you are not truly born again. I said, for you <laughs> to allow mm. that girl to go. <laughs> mm. I said, you are not born again. And that was how it started. I, I still imagine, remember one of my friends walked up to me and he said, what is all this now? What's this nonsense? He just cornered me. So I give you two weeks. You will come out of this madness. Well, what kind of rubbish is this? And, you know, two weeks now, it's, uh, it's over 24 years now. I mean, <laughs> I mean how many okay. years? It's over 26 years now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's uh, 27 years. I mean, 28, I mean, this is 1993. This yeah. is 28. 21. That's 28 years. I mean, so <laughs> the two weeks has become 28 years. So that was how it started. And uh, but you see, God, I think it was just also God's timing. Just the moment I gave my life to Christ, a revival just broke out in the school. And I usually say that that revival happened because of me. So we we're not having fellowship every day, we we're praying. Were becoming born again, and before you know it, you know that kind of atmosphere. Everybody was growing, and as I started growing, and it was so. By the time I was leaving the secondary school, myself and my friends were already spiritual giants. <laughs> so it was that fire we carried to university to go to the assignment God gave us in university. Okay, okay. Um, I would like to go back a bit. Um, because I mean, from you not feeling the so you are not the typical, if I may use that word, person to want to go to fellowship, right? Then suddenly yeah. you feel the urge to go, and um, for no reason, then you decide to go. And then it was a testimony service, it wasn't like there was a sermon that had been preached or something. And then there was a call for people to give their life to Christ. And then you stood up. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to process the how it happened. Because it's yet sincerely, to... Even me, I can't tell you this was how it happened. I just, I just, I, I knew it happened. Because how I stood up that day and went forward to sincerely, even the whole day, I mean, let's, let's even go back. How I, um, I was already on my way home. Okay. I mean, you see what I mean? I was already on my way. How I walked, came back, now went to the fellowship is a mystery to me too. And mm. gave my life to Christ and I was the only one. Interesting. 
And then afterwards, you immediately started preaching the gospel from yes, the as you're on your way home the following day. I I, I I am still asking how. <laughs> Sincerely, it was it was like a total transformation. So that's why at times when I now see people who said they are born again and they are not serious, it affected me, which was why I said I should have been patient with people because I was using my own experience. I'm like, I mean, look at me, the big boy here in school now, walking mm. Christ on fire. So I thought that should be the story of everybody. So I mean, so it, it was a total transformation. Could you talk about, can you remember the feeling? So you say that you felt the love of God immediately. You, um, oh, no, no, it was so overwhelming. Because I, I gave my life to Christ on a Thursday. Okay. And so that weekend went, I came back on Monday. And by the Saturday, the next Saturday, the Lord himself appeared to me. And. Okay. That was how I got my commission into ministry and quoted word for word, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It wasn't a trance, it wasn't a vision, it was a physical appearance. I was in my room at home and he just walked in and quoted word for word, Matthew 28, 19. He pointed his finger towards me and he said, Go ye therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and learn with you always, even to the end of the age. And it disappeared. And right from that experience, I just started praying in tongues. That was how I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Interesting. I just started praying in tongues. I just started praying in tongues. So, you see, and, and during that week, the moment I go to school on Monday, you know, I said I gave my Christ on yes, Thursday, I still went to school Friday. So, by that following Monday, a friend of mine, I still remember he's also a medical doctor now. Just walked up to me and gave him gave me good morning, Holy Spirit. That was the first book I ever read as a Christian, Benny Hinn. So I was already reading that, getting to know the Holy Spirit. So I was already in that mode. I'm sure you see what I mean. And now to cap it off, the Lord now appeared. So of course, went back to school the following Monday. I mean, having that encounter, praying in tongues, no learning so much about the Holy Spirit, so I was on fire. So, and of course, the revival now broke out in the fellowship. So you can imagine so much capital and, and capacity all around me, you know, to bring out the best in my experience. I would then ask, so why doesn't this happen for everybody? I mean, um, you for it. I don't know. Because would, wouldn't that have been easier if everybody just, I guess, supernaturally oh, gave their lives oh, to Christ oh, and immediately they are on fire? As much as God is sovereign, God is also faithful. Everyone will also have their own opportunities. It's whether they recognize it or not. Because it wouldn't give, God is not partial. So, of course, everything will not happen the same way. For some people, it might not even be secondary school like me. Maybe it's after school. For some, it could be in university. Some, some could be in later life. For some, it could be in their local church. But I don't think there is anyone without the opportunities, recognizing and maximizing it, that is different. Hmm. Hmm. And for some, I guess the opportunity may not be as supernatural as yours. Yeah, not be a supernatural, but nonetheless spectacular too. Uh, even though maybe for those people it's supernatural, that would have worked. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I meant it might not have been spectacular. 
but not the less supernatural. Okay. What's the difference? Well, spectacular is that, you know, it's all loud, you know, like my own. But supernatural is that it might not be loud, it might not be flashy, but it's also of immense spiritual significance, if you see what I mean. Hmm. Well, I know you mentioned God is impartial, but I think I'll still ask, why isn't it spectacular for everybody? Isn't, I mean, well, many people who you know, are you know, I, like I the, use... sorry, sorry, please wait, like the, uh, I think the supposed highly intelligent guys, I think, and intellectuals, if for instance they have the spectacular, wouldn't that be a jump that gets them on the faith journey? That, well, how will you say the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 and Acts 13 as an example. The, 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 it's just like people now saying because, oh, the Holy Spirit is not coming to a room like a rushing mighty wind. That was for Jerusalem at Antioch. It wasn't quite. Hands were late. But it was still they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. So at times, you see, God has a way of organizing things. It might not be like the day of Pentecost. It might be an experience like the church at Antioch, but nonetheless, um, I mean, if you see what Antioch delivered, eventually it was still bigger than what Jerusalem was able to deliver, despite the fact that uh, the day of Pentecost happened in Acts 2. But Acts 13 was just the Holy Spirit says, pronouncement, Barnabas, and so. But did that in any way limit what they did? I mean, they even did more. So, so that's why I meant that it might not be spectacular, like a rushing mighty wind filling the house plugging tongues of fire. It might just be as simple as hands are laid, uh, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost that happened in Antioch. And yeah, but it's still very much supernatural. So that's what I meant by that. Okay. I know many people want the mighty Russian wind, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we all do. And, and the, balance, the balance is that at some point it will happen. But again, like I usually say, in most cases, people don't recognize it because it doesn't come in the same shape or form. It's also varied, and there are very, I mean, there's variation, I mean, in, in the expression. So it's also a function of where you are, uh, where you operate from, and how the Lord is sovereignly walking around you at the time. Could you talk more on that? You said it depends on where you are in operation and how the Lord is yes, serving yeah, the workers. Just like what I said, the epistle of Paul to the Corinthians is not the same as the epistle of Paul to the Romans. And it's not the same to the Thessalonians. And it's not the same to the Colossians. So you could see that even in, a, in crafting the New Testament, location, geography, you know. And of course, the fact that whether you're a Jew or Gentile, even your ethnicity, your nativity count for something. So uh, those things will always be there. But at the end of it all, you realize that the experiences and the stories, the usual experience, the usual journeys are quite the same. That's part of the fact that they are diverse and varied in, in their outlook. But the underpinning is still the same because at the end of it all, at the end of it all, is the Lord walking all in all to fulfill his purposes. Mm, okay, okay. And before I move into your university, yes, when you said that you heard God tell you to study medicine, was it an audible voice 
was he not to study medicine? <laughs> um, not to study medicine, rather. So was he? At, so when you when you, when you say you heard, what exactly happened? Yes, can I, let me recall that day. I still remember where I was. He, he was he was more of um, he wasn't audible. He was he was more of an internal voice, and that happens to me a lot. When God speaks to you from within you, <laughs> so you know some things cannot be described. But that's the best. How do you distinguish between that and maybe your conscience? So it's your um, I don't know your um, mind and that sort of thing. See, my conscience, my conscience and my mind will not tell me not to study. Because <laughs> that was what my mind No, but there's God or intuition now, and I mean, God or intuition, I think, uh, leads people to I do stuff that. Should I say I'm one of those, should I say fortunate or blessed Christians who have um, a track record of, of a privilege of hearing from God, you know, from time to time, especially in. in and very important matters. So, I mean, looking at my life over the years, I've seen a track record of accuracy. So, even my wife will tell you, my wife will tell you that, look, if PD has not told you God spoke to him, fine. You could debate it, you could. Because he has come to see that over the years, once I say this is what the Lord wants us to do, I mean, at times starting out, it doesn't make sense, but she has come to see that eventually it's always God. So, I mean, so I've seen that track record too in my life that I just know when it is God. And uh, the truth is that at high levels and, you know, um, things pertaining to my life and my ministry, um, I'm so privileged that it's it's always been more or less underrepresented accurate, you know, in that regard, you know, so... Uh, it doesn't take God so much to persuade me. Once I know this is God, I just move on. And I guess it started from those early years of being just flexible, like, you know, not again when you hear, don't study this, study that. And I guess over the years, that kind of um, affinity has developed between the Lord and I. And, and so it, it's not usually a struggle for me to distinguish, you know, between my feelings, my will, and what the Lord is saying. Okay. And for those out there who are listening, how would you say, what would be your advice to them in helping them distinguish? Start start obeying when it does not make sense. Like I usually tell people, you, you, you are sure you locked the door to your house and somehow the Lord is urging you to go and check the door. And you, and you get there, you find out that the law was locked. It's not really the door the Lord is trying to ask you to lock. He's just trying to get you ready. That would you be sensitive to obey him even when it doesn't make sense? So that the day he's not going to ask you to do something big. You'll have uh, gotten used to the uh, truth of, oh, I mean, obeying is simple things. So, I mean, like I was telling someone, trying to drive in. And the Lord says, move to this lane. And, he, and you move to the lane. And it wasn't that because you move to the lane, you avoided an accident or whatever. But again, he's trying to get you ready. Because one day now, it might not be, it might not be an accident will happen. So when the Lord is trying to do all that, it's, it's a way of training people to be sensitive and to respond 
And, and by the time he sees that they are becoming sensitive, more and more sensitive, and, and they're responding, then he will begin to say the big things. Yeah. Couldn't the door, curious question as well, he will be pleased. Couldn't the door have been an OCD something? Obsessive compulsive disorder? Yeah, where um, I, 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 I don't know. That's what made you turn back to check again that you actually look. Well, I don't know if, 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 if it's OCD that captures it, but just you need to make sure that um, you yeah, had dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. Yeah, maybe meticulous, maybe be meticulous, right? That made you want to turn no, back no, to see, without that, Like I said, you know, I said at higher levels, I've been so blessed to be in sync. But that doesn't mean I've not missed out on God many times too. I mean, I'm human. Could you hear some of that? Where I felt it was God, but it wasn't God, you know. So you learn. The Bible also talks about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So we all learn. I mean, it's, um, it's, I've, I've had quite some uh, interesting experiences where I actually disobeyed and I suffered the consequences. So my obedience, uh, you know, fundamentals went up and represent. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> so, I mean, so... Could you I share, mean, so I just heard from your response now, I heard you first say that there were times where um, you have thought that it was God and that it wasn't. And then I also heard you say that yeah, there were times yeah, yeah. where you had disobeyed and then you yes, bought yes. the consequences. Could you maybe share experiences okay, that, of that both? Let me share, let me see a recent experience where I felt it was God or in the growing years. Okay, that it wasn't God and I felt it was God. Uh... Okay, maybe in the choice of, of a life partner, there was this sister that I felt would be my wife. So I asked her out, and sincerely she said no. And after she said no, I just got to know that it wasn't of God. But before that time, I was 100% persuaded that this was God. <laughs> But I say no, now became an eye opener to me that this was not God. And now looking back over the years now, I'm thanking God that I didn't go that route at all. What did you hear or what was the conviction that you had that made you think that she was your life? I just liked her. Then I, I felt I prayed about it. I felt I, I got a certain direction from the Lord. You see, couldn't, I mean, couldn't it have, have it, also it, been that maybe you're supposed to be persistent? I don't know. Or why would it no, know the no, first no, time no. mean that? No, oh. because, you know, because some series of events happened thereafter. And okay. I'll prove that this could have been God, you know. But I don't want to go into, okay. into details because of another person is also involved. So, okay, um, that's fine. But, but, but the truth about the matter is this. I don't think she could have said yes. Because... Looking at, at my life also, one of the things I've also found out is that somehow what is not the will of God for me doesn't work out for me. You, you know, you know I, I'm talking about in work with a lot of 28 years now, you see what I mean? And I've, I've plotted the graph. I've drawn my line of best feet. I've found the intercept and the slope. And that destination due to gravity. <laughs> and I, I found out that 
looking back in the last 28 years, once something is not the will of God for me, one clear indicator is that it doesn't just work out. No matter how simple, it could even be something simple. Now that people are getting effortlessly, once it's just my turn, I won't just get it. <laughs> so I've learned over the years that once it's not the will of God for me, it doesn't work out. So I mean, so mm-hmm. I don't bother myself about so many things. Once it doesn't work out, and I tried, I try, I try. I just like let me share a recent example with you. So I got to the UK. I was looking for a house. You know, it's very difficult for someone who's just coming to UK to get a house because they want to yeah, do true. a credit score and all those things. So I tried, I tried, I tried. Check this house, check that house. I get there, the landlord will even like me. But once they just say, uh, how long have I been in the UK? Once I just say, I just came. They just start stammering. You know they're not giving in there. So at some point, I just gave up. I just told myself, I'm not even checking. So even agents were calling me. Because I have that track record with God. They just were calling me, come and check. I just say, I'm not checking. Until one day, from the blues, one of my pastor friends just said, oh, I wasn't even, I didn't even think of that. He was like, oh, by the way, how long you are looking for a house? I have these agents, please call them. Do you know I called these agents? And I didn't even need to go and check the house. We completed everything on phone. That's very rare. It was when we completed on phone and I went to check the house. Because <laughs> I just told him, see me, I said, I've checked a number of houses. I'm not ready to waste my time again. If you are not giving me, tell me this is my circumstance. I just came into the UK. The guy just I laughing. He said, no problem. I understand all that. I will still give you if you like the house. You imagine. So, so over the years, I've seen that once it's the will of God for me, it will always work out. Once it's not the will of God, somehow it doesn't. Okay, let me give you an example. I've applied for US visa before I was denied. My first application of US visa. So I just gave up. I mean, following the same trend. But one day I was just minding my business. I wasn't even thinking about America. As you remember, my wife would bear witness because I woke up and I said, sweetheart, I said, the Lord just said it's time to go to America. And I applied that week and I got the visa. Same with my UK visa. Same when it was also time for my wife to travel with me for the first time to America. So I just woke up and I said, Lord just said it's time for you to go to America. So we've learned over the years to you know that if it doesn't work out, it's not the will of God. I mean, somehow it has always been my track record with God. And I'm not saying this is a rule, right? because we all have our unique uh, experience with God. But for me, one critical acid test of the will of God for me has always been it will work out. And when it's not the will of God, it doesn't always work out. Even though before it didn't work out, you had felt like it was God's will. Yes, yes, yes. So how I always know is that I'll try, I'll try. Once I try and it doesn't work out, is as if I always remember, don't forget your track record with God, that it's always difficult to work it out once it's not the will of God. So I just give up. And I realize that the moment I give up, the will of God will not come. Like that house now. And many, many other things. Once I just say, okay, no problem, I give up. <laughs> then God steps into the arena and does his own thing. For those listening who I'm sure are also, I guess, thinking and trying to 
put it in context with respect to their lives. Um, just saying generally now, well, like you said, it doesn't happen this way for all people. It's, um, no, no, no. it's contingent on your, or is based on your own work and experience with God. Um, yes. But for people generally, how, well, you may respond generally and you may respond with respect to your own work with God. But how do you, would you say, when is it time to give up or when is it time to be persistent? Well, like you said, it's, it's personal. Some people, their work with God is very iterative. So they have to work it out. They have to work it out. They have to work it out. I mean, Imagine the Lord telling Paul that I must show him how many things I must suffer for my namesake. So by, by, by destiny and by purpose, Paul was already destined to suffer many things for his name. That informed his journey, the way his ministry is structured and, and what have you. So, I mean, but that's not a story of some people. So uh, I guess it's just a question of... Uh, uh, you know exactly what God is doing with you. So it's uh, for some people that work with God, it's very iterative. For some people, it's repetitive. And for some people, it's incremental. That means it moves from this level to this level. So I guess it's just over time. By the time you plot the graph, you, you begin to see what works for you and now your history and your user journey and your experience with God has been. And you can now. Uh, begin to have what is called, um, um, you know, working knowledge of your relationship with God. It takes time, but everything you do with God will begin to log in into that logbook and you now begin to see a pattern. So uh, once you see the pattern, then, so it's not the same pattern. Like I said, for some people, it's iterative. They have to work it for some people. It's repetitive. It's the same thing coming in different Ways for some people it's incremental. If it is 10 today, it becomes 20 to tomorrow. So it's you just find your bearing God. So there's no uh, one size fits all, you know, in this regard. Everyone will have to work out his own salvation for a trembling. And self-awareness is a crucial role. Introspection and the self-reflection. It is. Okay. Okay. You wanted to share another example on um when he had disobeyed and then he had borne the consequences. Yeah, there are so many of those. Because I remember I wanted to go and walk somewhere and I, I, the Lord told me not to go there. Sincerely, he did. In fairness to the Lord. <laughs> and I went because I thought I had an opportunity. Oh my, I suffered. And eventually I lost the job because I knew. Even me going there, it was a struggle. Eventually, I met people I'm not supposed to have met, you know, and I ran into trouble. But God, God will always save you and um, give you an opportunity to start over again. So that has also happened for me. So I encourage everyone to always obey, even when it's not interesting. And on that note, we draw the curtain on the first part of my conversation with Pastor Dili Oshumakinde. Join us next week as we explore what happened after Pastor Dilly got into University of Ibada and how we started the Vessel of Honor Foundation, which later gave birth to the baptizing church. 
thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review, a comment, and share with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please, do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Catch our one-to-one newsletter where we share with you one lesson, two quotes, and one question from each episode published. You'll find it at originsafrica.substack.com originsafrica.substack.com And of course, if you like it, please click the like button, leave a comment, share with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa Podcast. Bye for now. My father told me life is not a bit of roses. You gotta put your way to the plow, do the work to smell the roses. Don't back down. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, don't back down. When things get tight, keep the drive, keep the faith, stay in the fight. Draw strength from the Yeah.